Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry on this Wednesday. Uh, Derek, Kentucky dropped another game last night, now 1-2 and two on the season. I think that that's definitely their worst start of the Calipari era. I don't remember anything worse than that. But I think then I, I remember saw since so one. That's what I was thinking. Tayshawn Prince yeah. and them, and that I think they went to the NIT preseason or something like that event and lost to UCLA and St. John's, if I'm not mistaken, that season. So uh, a bad start for a team that Cal kind of built up a lot during the preseason and then kind of you know, hit the panic button there and kind of pulled the reins on us about a week mm-hmm. before the season started. But this isn't a team that Cal talked like this was going to happen. Cal talked a lot of positives about this team, Derek, in the preseason, which I think has kind of thrown everybody off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, I just – I don't think you ever go into a season expecting such poor shooting. And we've we've heard the same old song and dance from Cal a lot of years. That I mean, every team he has, he says, is a good shooting team, even though this team certainly doesn't look like a good shooting team. And teams from the past uh, – I mean, last year, Sean, outside of – Emmanuel quickly. I mean, they really struggled to shoot the ball from what I recall. So um, this was a, and and this is recording this on Wednesday morning. So uh, we were going to record last night. I pushed that back. That was on me. Um, Sean was probably ready to go, but Sean, this gave you a chance to watch the game again before we started talking. It did. And uh, you know me, I'm going to dive into it. I'll probably (laughs) dive into it again tonight. I, I didn't get to watch all the way through the end of the game, but they're, they played better, Derek. I think that's on the, the rewatch. One thing. Yeah, they did. I think. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that I want to throw in there is it was a better performance than what it was against Richmond. I think had they had they done some of the things that they did last night, I think they may have won the game at Richmond. I think their defense, I think their effort was sustained for forty minutes on that end of the floor. Definitely helped by Isaiah Jackson, who I think is going to be one of those. This is why I think this team has elite defensive potential. He erases so many mistakes like some of the good teams that Kentucky's had with Anthony Davis, Nerlens Noel, Willie Colley-Stein. I'm not saying he's Anthony Davis, but this is the best shot blocker Kentucky has had since Willie Colley-Stein. And he just impacts the game in so many different ways, Derek. That's why he stands out right now. His offense is just as bad as the other guys, but we're not talking about that because he impacts the game in like five or six different categories. He he is special. Um that was texting you. I had a lot of first half takes last night, and then second half rolls around. I got to start writing some more, so it's uh, I got to just get my stories ready. But you can just tell. I mean, I hope this doesn't sound hot takey. I try to avoid those, but like he he's definitely been their most impressive player to, to this point. Um, you had a stat. I don't know if you still got that pulled up from Corey Price. That was some uh, elite company. Yeah, he's he's in a lot of elite company. First of all. Uh, Corey Price put this up last night. You can follow you can follow him at Corey P zero eight on Twitter. He said Isaiah Jackson has set a new school record for most blocks by a player against an AP poll top ten ranked opponent. So he had eight last night. The previous record was seven by Andre Riddick against number one Arkansas in the SEC tournament in nineteen ninety four. And Jackson also is an elite company with Sam Bowie and Anthony Davis. He's only the third Kentucky player in wow. school history to have at least twelve rebounds and eight blocks in a single game, regardless of opponent. Derek, three games in, he's doing these things. Uh, he He's Kentucky's best player right now, which I don't know 
if that's a great thing moving forward just because he's so raw offensively that if they can get their backcourt figured out, can get Sar to stay on the floor and avoid foul trouble, the pieces are there for this team to be good. It is. I know we're not going to talk a lot about the NBA. I just want to throw this out there. When I was watching him, I mean, he's he's a 15-year NBA player. If he He's going to have to improve on offense, which I'm sure he will as it becomes his profession. But he's the kind of guy that if he accepts his role as a, as a defender, an elite defender and a rebounder, I mean, he's going to make a lot of money playing and this he, game. And he owns up to his mistakes. I think that was yeah. the thing that stood out to me in post game with him last night. Um was talking about, you know, he took a bad shot there. He took a three from the top of the key in a possession where Kentucky needed to get a basket. And you could hear Cal. I think that was the unique thing about watching last night's game, Derek, <laughs> is there was no popped-in crowd noise. Like, that was no. literally just a closed event, no fans. You could hear every single word that anyone said in that gym last night. You could. I mean, it's 2020. Um uh, something you don't get with football, for sure. I mean, you, you get a little bit on, of on-the-field stuff, maybe more than normal. But, yeah, with Cal out there yelling, I mean, no other time is Cal ever going to run out there on a timeout and show Isaiah Jackson how to post up. <laughs> so that's something unique this year. Uh, let's move on to some, I guess, some criticisms. Uh, there's plenty after a game like that. Uh, after going over 10 against Richmond from three, they follow it up with a three-for-21 performance. So... It's three games in. Um, we've seen teams turn it around before, but Sean, at this point, just how, how concerned are you? One, do you think that they're taking good three-point shots? And then two, is it something that if they are, I mean, I, I just got to think if they are taking good three-point shots, that eventually it's going to even itself out, right? Unless they're truly just a, a terrible shooting team. They're they're not taking good three-point shots. I have I have a ton of screenshots right here that I'm looking at on my phone that I've taken just this morning. So here's one that Terrence Clark pulls with 26 seconds on the shot clock and a hand in his face. And then here's another one that Davion Mintz pulls with 27 seconds on the shot clock and a hand in his face. Uh, B.J. Boston pulls one off an offensive rebound with a hand in his face. Here's another one with Mintz, uh, 26 seconds on the shot clock, hand in his face. Those aren't good shots. I haven't posted those screenshots yet. But those are four shots, Derek, that regardless of how good of a shooter you are, even if you have a just a maybe a small window to see the rim, that's not a high percentage shot, especially that early in the shot clock. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not ready to say that this team can't shoot the ball. Do I think that they're going to torch the nets? Absolutely not. I don't think that you're going to see this team be a you know, 10, 11, three-pointers made per game team. But I do think that if this team takes them within the offense, at some point, Averages are going to kind of play out, and they're going to be who they are. My only concern is, Derek, that we've seen in some years, like last year, I watched Tyrese Maxey enough in high school to know that he could shoot the three. He didn't shoot it well at Kentucky. I don't know if that had a lot to do with the way the offense is kind of set up or just the collegiate game in general with the three-point line. I don't know if how much of a difference that makes. Uh, but right now, too, I think a big problem is they have nobody that they're missing someone that makes the game easy for everyone, and that's killing them offensively. Ashton Hagens took a lot of criticism during his time at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. If he were on this team right now, Derek, this offense I think would be flowing so much better just because he, he actually was a point guard. Right now they don't have a point guard on this roster. They miss someone that can set things up, that can kind of set the table 
for every single player, not only Olivier Saar, but for B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark. Nobody's putting anybody in a position to be successful, and that's killing them offensively right now. Yeah, so, I mean, think of it this way. At this point, who, which player is helping the guys around them be better? Anybody? On this on roster? Offense, talking? On offense? No. Uh, I think the closest thing right now for a guy that I think is just making anyone better on the team would honestly be, uh, I thought Davion Mintz did some good things last night. Uh, he still had some struggles, but I think that that's a switch that I think Cal's got to make this week. Uh, you got to start Davion Mintz Sunday against Georgia Tech. I don't think that you can mess around with it anymore. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot of positivity stuff about Devin Askew, and I still think that he's going to be a very good player. But right now, you have three games and it's been the same exact thing. And you see that Devin Askew's not ready for this right now. Not to say that Davion Mintz is perfect. He certainly makes mistakes. But I think he also has shown last night at times that he can do the right thing, Derek. And I think that he kind of needs to be the guy that you kind of ride right now to see how see if it changes something. Yeah, he had a really good stretch there in the first half. Had a couple steals. Uh, he, he provided a spark for him during the first half. And um, he... I don't think it was planned for him to take the last shot of the game to try to tie it. He did, but he was also – I mean, Dante Allen hit a three in the first half, but the only other player on the whole roster hit a three last night was Mintz, and he made two. So the three-point shooting is atrocious. Um, you know, I think about we'll, – we'll probably come wrap back around to some negatives, but I did want to point out Jacob Toppin uh, in oh, yeah. the second half. He, he showed up when they needed him. I mean, he scored six straight points. I don't know to, for them to take the lead, I think, at that point when he got in there. So Cal said after the game that he's played himself into the rotation. I think he's going to be very in flux, I would say. I think he's going to have moments like that where it's going to help you, and then I think he's still going to have games where Cal probably won't really play him, especially if guys aren't in foul trouble. He's played himself into the rotation, but he'll play eight minutes Sunday against Georgia Tech. That's that's my my prediction. Uh, It's one of those situations where I like what I see from Jacob Toppin. I like what I see moving forward from Jacob Toppin for not just this year, but for years moving forward. I think that was a great decision by this staff to take him because you could kind of see the things that he does, that, that he does very well. I was so shocked last night when I heard him call, when Cal called elbow, which is where they bring a, they bring a big up to the free throw line area elbow and they isolate, they fake the dribble handoff and they turn and face up and everybody else is flattened out to the baseline and they go one-on-one. When they called that for Jacob Toppin and he went and scored, and then they come back down and called it again, and I think he got called for an offensive foul. Yeah, uh, that over. really, really surprised me that they were running. They that's how that's how much this team is struggling right now, is that they're running offense through a guy that we had that we didn't think would even be playing at this point. And then two, Derek, I watched three games back to back. Now the last two. Kentucky can't do anything continuity-wise offensively. They're, they don't have guys that are taking advantage of what defenses are giving them. They're not. Their their offensive IQ is so low right now, collectively, that Kentucky's offense right now is 80% isolation. It's either a it's either a two-game action on one side of the floor with Clark and Saar and pick and roll, Boston Clark and pick and, or Boston and Saar and pick and roll, or it's a flattened out Terrence Clark with the ball at the top of the key trying to do something, or a post isolation for Saar. There is no continuity offense. There's no circle sets. There's nothing. That right there tells me how far behind Kentucky is offensively. And that's I think that's why you're seeing a lot of one-on-one stuff is it's kind of coming from the sideline right now too. But they're not good enough yet 
to go ISO and realize that just because they're isolating, if somebody helps, they have to give the ball up. The ball's mm-hmm. sticking too much or still taking bad shots, and it honestly it looks like an AAU game right now. And I don't know. I'm I'm paying attention to Sunday because now you have four practices to kind of get some things figured out. Look, they had one practice between Richmond and Kansas. You could not fix all those issues in a couple of hours. I want to see if it gets a little better this week, a lot more, a lot better between Kentucky and Notre Dame, uh, because that that's the problem. That's what I never thought I'd ever say that Kentucky's offense is what's holding them back. Usually, it's their defense or their lack of effort. Right now, it's they literally cannot score the basketball and run an efficient offense. And there was no like last night. If you wanted to show any basketball team how to not play offense, you turn on that tape and you watch both teams play because that was pathetic from both sides. Yeah. Well, one other guy I wanted to talk about, and this is not – I'm not trying to single him out because there is plenty of criticism to be thrown around with this team. Matter of fact, I don't uh, – you could pick out something about every single player at this point that's not all that great. I would say, though, Sean – I think where Kentucky really needs Keon Brooks back is when Lance Ware is on the floor. And in particular last night, Ware, he had a rough stretch there in the first half, uh, especially defensively. I don't really expect much out of him on offense. Um, he actually assisted on the ball to, to Allen. I thought it was a good find. But defensively, to me, he looks a little step slow right now. And maybe more than anyone else on the team, maybe this is too harsh, but I'm just going to say it anyway, I think with at least every other freshman on this roster, you could have picked something out that like kind of gets you excited about them. I don't know that Ware's even had that moment yet. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you remember something, but he he just seems to be so much further behind some of these other guys. He he is. Um, not really sure where he fits right now, and I'm not sure that we'll find that out this year because I think when Keon comes back, the rotation significantly changes because it mm-hmm. kind of pushes him out of it. Right now, I think Jacob Toppin's now ahead of him uh, going off last night. Now, I know Kentucky's foul trouble at times has played a little into where getting minutes. But my one criticism of Cal last night, or not, I don't, don't want to say really criticism, but the one thing that really makes me scratch my head is when Kentucky built the first half lead, there were some lineups in there that just did not make sense at all. And I think they kind of killed their momentum with that. I honestly, Cal's one of these guys that he's traditional. He wants to go with positions. So he wants to go with the four and the five. I think last night when the first half, when foul trouble hit early in the second half, I honestly believe that he should have gone to four perimeter players in Jackson. Uh, just to kind of, because the offensive end was the problem. Uh, Jackson's going to race a lot. You can get away with four guards in Jackson and the length of Clark and Boston for rebounding. I just thought his lineups didn't make sense. And I think you can watch the game again. And from that point, when he started shuffling, like at one point there was a lineup that had Ware and Toppin as the 4-5. or five, And I just didn't think, and then I think Allen was maybe in there too. It just didn't make sense when you watch that. I think Clark, or not Clark, but Askew and Mintz were the two guards. So it was a lineup that wasn't getting anything accomplished. And Kansas started chipping away at that lead. And then the second half, Kentucky just never could get any momentum. And I'm just, I'm wondering, honestly, if that, if those lineup kind of head-scratching lineups maybe kind of killed some of the momentum in the first half. Do you just think it was Cal trying to just figure something out? I think it is. And I think, too, it's one of those things where, look, I'll say it. Dante Allen's probably going to have to play, just given that, I mean, look, the last play of the game was for Dante Allen. 
Mintz probably had an option that if he could get up the floor and get a window, that he could probably pull that like he did. It wasn't an awful look, but that was supposed to be that was clearly supposed to be an Iverson cut. Yeah, like it wasn't a bad look, but it's not surely wasn't what he drew up. No, and and two, Dante was early on the on the cut, so he was out of position, which is why Cal was upset at him. Jackson and Sar were supposed to to screen there, and then uh, Allen make that Iverson cut back around the perimeter. If that's if Mintz didn't take the shot, Uh, but you saw Jackson and Sar just go crash the glass because they knew Mintz was taking it. Uh, but Dante Allen's a guy that probably has to play right now, given their shooting woes and some struggles offensively. He spaces the floor, which then allows Terrence Clark to be who he is. But I don't think Cal wants to play Dante, and I know that sounds bad, but you can tell that he does not want to play him right now, which I think is a big concern because I don't really know. I don't know. I think Cal knows. Cal has his guys that he wants to play. I think that's why he's forcing Askew so many minutes right now. But it's going to get to the point, Derek, where I think that if these guys keep struggling, you're you're going to have to change some things, or you might be looking at you know two and five, two and six when you go into conference play if you don't get something figured out. The schedule, look, Notre Dame can beat them, UCLA can beat them. I honestly think that any Power Five team can beat Kentucky right now the way they're playing offense. I mean, if you're going to shoot, you know, three for twenty-one and you. Turn the ball over uh, and stay in foul trouble. With some of your best players, yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't write off anybody. Um, I still like this team's potential. Point guard spot does make me nervous. Um, I, I lean towards your thinking that Clark will probably end up having to take on that role. You can move Askin Mintz off the ball. I, I'm still at a point though where we're talking about shortening the rotation or things like that. I know it's going to have to happen at some point, but I don't. I think you're still several games away and just kind of figuring out what exactly works and what doesn't. I mean, Fletcher really good against Moorhead, just okay the last two games. Didn't really do much last night. I mean, he fights for the ball. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to note, I think I texted you this. I was a little surprised that Boston only had six rebounds because I feel like he's in there a lot. I mean, he, yes. he does a pretty good job getting in there and getting rebounds. So I'm sure Cal loves that about him. Hell, he had a double-double against Richmond at 10 boards that game. So he's probably – second or third on their team now in rebounding, I would guess. Sar might still be ahead of them. Sar and Jackson, I'm sure, for sure are. But, um, no, I mean, I don't I don't really know what else to add to this. They, It was a, certainly a winnable game. They built a 13-point lead in the first half, only the eighth time, I think, under Cal yeah. that they lost a game that they led by double digits. So They had a 15-0 run at one point yeah, in this yeah, game, I mean, they and did they some, lost. Abby went to bed, and uh, she was surprised when I told her that uh, Kentucky lost. Because they were playing well at the point that she was still up, so. And it comes down to a thing, too, where you you don't value possessions. I don't think they have a player on the roster that values possessions. And I'm talking those possessions that, whether it be in the first half in a four-point game or in the final minute with a two-point game, every possession matters. And right now, these guys don't get it. They don't understand that. If they make a turnover on the offensive end, it can't travel to the other end of the floor, and then you miss a blockout. B.J. Boston had that sequence last night, then follows it with a bad shot. Uh, so three mistakes. So one mistake turned into three in about 20 seconds, and then that turns into yeah. a 4-0, 4-0 Kansas run. Those are the things that you can't have happen. And right now they're happening too frequently. Now I will say this. If Sar finishes that dunk last night and Kentucky goes up four, Kentucky wins the game. Like I'm convinced that Kentucky, you know, finishes that game out with a win. That was a huge momentum swing 
a four-point swing. Kentucky's instead not up four. The game's tied. And with a team that's as fragile right now with youth and inexperience, those are plays that it just – I want to say it's just bad luck. You know, Sar also missed a put-back dunk, I think, against Richmond uh, Sunday too. Yeah. So that's something that's got to be fixed. Uh, he played 14 minutes, Derek, and he was one of the most efficient players in the game. He was 4-6 from the floor. I think he had eight points, uh, six rebounds, a couple of blocks. Right now the only thing Kentucky can do well offensively is they post Olivier Sar. That's mm-hmm. the only thing Kentucky can do. And when he's not on the floor – they don't even have that option. Had he played 20 minutes last night, I think Kentucky wins that basketball game. So that's something they've got to get figured out because foul trouble was an issue for him at Wake Forest too. Well, think about this. When we came into the season, we talked about basically a trio of Clark, Boston, and Sar. At least I did. That's who I thought were going to be the three best players. We had mentioned Jackson just because we had heard so much about him. But, you know, what we've realized is Jackson's not, at this point in his career, you're not going to rely on a ton of points from him. So when you have Boston going four for thirteen, Clark three for eleven. Matter of fact, neither one of those guys has even hit a three yet this season. And then Sars on the bench for long periods of times. I mean, think about the guys that you're relying on for long stretches in that game to help you win against teams that you know. I don't think Kansas is a great team, but uh, you certainly have to play. Well, I don't know if I want to say you have to play well to beat them because Kentucky could have won that game without playing well. So you know what I'm trying to say. Like it's just going to be tough to win games whenever you don't have your best players that we perceive to be their best players um, doing the things necessary to, to to help the team. Yeah. Yeah, they they did shoot the ball better from the free throw line last night, I think. Do you have the stats yeah, right there in front yeah. of you? Yeah, they were they were 15 for 20. Uh, Kansas was 20 for 30, so Kansas did a better job getting to the line. Yeah, uh, Kentucky did at least shoot it better from the free throw line. The three-point line is a major concern. So from that opening start, so Kentucky at one point was 6 of 13 from three. I think since then they're shooting under 9%. I think it's like 8.9 or something percent since they were 6 of 13 versus Moorhead State at one point. I know they finished that game 6 of 16. I still think, though, you can't – Yeah, it's 9%. You can't ride up. You can't chalk it all up to they can't shoot until you see if they're better offensively. Because right now they're they're so poor offensively that they have no idea how to get each other better shots. They have no idea what a good shot is. And I just don't – like right now, literally a lot of the good stuff is coming off of just havoc, either offensive rebounds – or isolation plays with Clark getting to the rim or Boston getting to the rim. Boston did make some good plays last night, but he also, Derek, he made a lot more bad plays than he made good plays. He did. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, going into the season, we said if Boston and Clark are as good as advertised, this team is going to be very good. And I'm not saying it's all on them, but right now those two honestly look like two people that probably need more than one year of college basketball. That's just the way that I see it. If those two can get to the point that we thought they were going to be, and that's putting a lot on freshmen, but this is a program that puts a lot on those guys. And that's kind of the thing that when you're at Kentucky and you recruit the way Cal does and given the culture, you kind of expect these guys to be stars. And I think that's what they were recruited to be. Had they gone to Duke or anywhere else, they would have been expected to be the same type of player that Kentucky fans expect them to be. So I think that's the key, is do those two get going? I don't know what you're going to get as far as point guard play. I I kind of passed that off 
early in the season or in the preseason because I thought that it would be good enough because I expected all these other pieces to kind of be ready. You know, shame on me for thinking that the, that this team could be ready with ten new faces in a year that's not normal, and that's my one concern, Derek. We know that this team in a normal year would develop into a team that's ready to make a run in March. This isn't a normal year. And no. if they have to hit pause at any point for 14 days, or let's say it happens twice, what does this team's development look like in February and March? Yeah, something that should help college uh, programs, the CDC cutting their quarantine thing down to seven days so that won't keep people out as long. But you're right. I mean, you're one positive test away from, you know, not playing, not practicing for a few days. And that's just going to – that's why – I mean, how do you – I don't even want to get into how we judge this here because we've already done it for football. I don't wait a little bit longer for basketball to try to figure it out. But this is uh, – I think you make a lot of great points. I mean, to me, I go into the next game watching this, it's definitely the point guard play. Does Cal change things up? Do they get their offense – I mean, I could think of – I'm sure there were more, but there was one three attempt by Boston that was I thought was off a pretty good set. If you remember, it was in the corner in the yeah. first half. Or maybe it was the second half. It was the second half because they were down in front of UK's bench. Um, and it, he was oh, he just didn't make the shot, but it was a good look. And he's one of, supposed to be one of your better shooters. So you just hope that in time those will start to fall. I mean, I, I just don't think they're going to – continue to shoot that poorly. I mean, a guy like Cameron Fletcher might. I don't know if he's who you want shooting a bunch of threes. He only took two. Looking at some of the numbers, Mintz took five. You're fine with that, I think. Toppin, he only took one. It was an air ball. He probably won't be taking many shots from out there. Jackson, we talked about, wasn't the time, wasn't a great time to take it with the score and the time left. But, I mean, Clark 0 for 4, Boston 0 for 4, and Askew 0 for 2. So I actually think there are times that Askew comes off. If he's ready to shoot, I think he's going to have a few more open looks. But I don't. I think he's just kind of in his head right now. Um, he is. That would be my guess. I mean, he's swimming. He, it's his third game. He, he's going to settle in at some point, I would say. Got to stop killing his dribble. I think yeah, that's the one man. thing. And, and honestly, I mean, here's the thing. Like it, it's not hard. Uh, but it's one of those things when you're in, when you're in, when you're not comfortable in your own mind when you're out there on the floor. That's the issue that you see. It's because it's a panic thing. It's it's panic to pick the ball up. There's only three things you can do with a basketball, Derek. You can either dribble it, you can pass it, or you can shoot it. Well, when you kill your dribble, there's one thing gone. You can either pass it or shoot it. If you know, if you don't know that you're going to do those two things, why are you picking it up? And I think a lot of it. You you hit it. You asked me about this before we started recording. Was it offensive issues that he's picking his dribble up? I think a lot of it is panic. But then I think at times too. He's expecting them to be in a flow offensively, but right now is not the time to kill your dribble because Kentucky is not in a position. Uh, their spacing was poor at times again last night. It, it was better than it was against Richmond, but their spacing is still poor at times too, and guys aren't running sets. That's why you're not seeing Kentucky run Vegas. You're not seeing Kentucky run their baseline runner action. Right now, guys don't know how to play basketball without the ball in their hands and it's killing Kentucky, but Askew's a guy that I think will get better, but I also think this, he's going to have to slide over and play the two. I just don't think it's going to be at point guard this year for mm -hmm. him. I think Mintz is going to have to be the guy running the point to start games, but I think at some point when this team hits their peak and potential, it's going to be when Terrence Clark runs the one and Askew, Mintz, Boston, these guys are off the ball ready to do what makes them you know, very good players. Askew is a very good three-point shooter. I will stand by it. Davion Mintz shot 35% from three at Creighton. That's that's perfectly capable. 
Uh, and B.J. Boston knocked down shots in high school. I've watched him play enough. These This team has shooters, but it all has to kind of be flowing together, Derek, for it to work. This, this isn't this isn't a game where you can just go and jack up shots. Uh, you kind of have to have a rhythm, and right now nobody's making the game easy for one another, and they're not making it easy on themselves. Yeah, I think if I was U.K. staff, I'd be putting a phone call into Scott Clark and saying, hey, man, you uh, think you can get up here next year? Might need a little help. uh at point guard next season. But, no, last thing I want to bring up, though, and probably not talking about it enough, one, because it's a loss, and two, because the offense is so bad. They have been very solid defensively this year. I mean, they held Kansas to 30%. And, uh, I mean, they, they played certainly good enough defense. They, think of this. Kansas scored 90 against Gonzaga, and they scored 94 against St. Joe's. Well, Kentucky holds them to 65. You would think that would be enough to win a basketball game against a team like that most of the time. Um, you know, 24% from three. I, I don't have the numbers pulled up, Sean, but I got to think no one has shot the ball that well from them against three. I know Richmond hit some in the second half, but if you have a team, and it's all, it can, it's not always fun to watch, but if you have a team this good defensively, you should always have a chance. And that's what gives me confidence that if they get these offensive issues worked out, they've still got a chance to be a good team this year. So I don't know how many people – the episode against Richmond was titled, uh, what, don't hit the panic button or something? I don't know if we're there yet. I don't. I mean, it's still just three games in. I want to see how they look these next few games. But if they keep up this kind of defensive intensity, and I don't see why they wouldn't, still a chance to turn this thing around for sure. Yeah, don't don't hit the panic button yet. And I know people are probably going to be like, man, these people are crazy. Why do you keep <laughs> saying that? And I actually put our post in an article on Go Big Blue Country, and it got a lot of, you know, a lot of traction, a lot of conversation on Facebook, and. People and honestly, in the comments, people weren't hitting the panic button. Now I'm wondering if people are, uh, just because it's a second loss. It's two losses within right at 48 hours of each other. I, I'm not hitting the panic button yet, Derek, just because of exactly what you said. They're so far ahead defensively that I think that this has potential to be one of Cal's top four defensive teams he's had at Kentucky, mm-hmm. and that's going to carry them at times when their offense is struggling. They've just got to find a way to use that to their advantage. If you can get stops and they can become an efficient offensive team, they have a total package that they can they can do some damage when they get in the NCAA tournament. It's a long season. Uh, SEC play, I think, will we'll tell the tale with this team. You know, the, the road environments aren't going to be true road environments. I think they're going to have a an even playing field when they go into all these games this season. So it's not like this is a Kentucky team that's struggling that's going to have to go to a sold-out Auburn Arena or a sold-out Thompson Bowling. Uh, they're going to have their opportunities just to go in and play basketball, which is probably going to hurt them some in turn when they play at home because it's not going to be a true home environment. But you're going to find out who the best teams are every single night when they play because there's no factors influencing the outcome of games this season. And I, and I think that's honestly a good thing for Kentucky. Yeah, and I thought that was one of the strange thing, strange timing to be brought up. But Cal did mention that last night. I mean, said he wants. To, of course, Mitch Barnhart's had a big role this year in the selection committee, and he's saying he needs to talk to him about that. Uh, every game kind of counting the same, which would certainly be a big change from recent years. But Sean, that's about all I got from this game. You got anything else you want to close with? No, just I guess the only thing that I would say is, you know, just let it play out a little longer. Uh, when I hit the panic button, that's when everybody else that listens to this podcast, that's when I'd recommend you to hit the pan- panic button. <laughs> uh, because right now, I'm not hitting it yet. Uh, I, I'm real. I'm worried 
about the offense just because it becomes one of these things where we've seen this at times in 2013 where you have a couple of guys that bad bad habits weren't able to be broken, you know, sp- specifically Archie Goodwin. Uh, we also saw how bad point guard play that year with Ron Harrow in that position that killed Kentucky. So those are two things that are kind of making me uneasy right now, but also at the same time this team has significantly more talent than that team had. Uh, I think I think they have kids that are willing to be better. I think they have willing like players that are willing to learn and want to to adapt. And you could see it last night when they were playing well. They were feeding off one another. The excitement. Guys were hopping up off the bench, excited for B.J. Boston when he dunked on someone. Uh, Terrence Clark was one of the first ones to greet him. This team has good players, Derek. I think they have guys that are – I don't think it's selfish. It's it's not a selfish problem right now. I think it's just a they-don't-know-how-to-play problem. And uh, I think that stuff will get fixed. But you kind of want to wait and see with some of this. And I, I think that we're going to know a lot more with each passing game. Uh, just a little bit improvement. I'm watching this game Sunday versus Georgia Tech to see what we can pull away from that especially on the offensive end. Uh, you just don't want to see a game where Kentucky gets it figured out offensively and then they can't guard anybody. You kind of want to see it connected at some point. I will say this, that's a Kansas team that put up 90 on Gonzaga less than a week ago, mm-hmm. and Kentucky had a very good defensive effort last night in Indianapolis. So that that is something for this team to hang their hat on, but they've got to get it figured out offensively. But like I said, do not push the panic button until I'm sitting here saying two hands on it, press it, and just stand on it because that's when I'll be panicking. But right now, I want to see some more basketball and see how this team kind of develops. But And then hope, too, that nothing comes from last night. I know Marcus Garrett played sick. He's tested negative for COVID. But, Derek, I'll say this. Had that been in any other setting, place of work, uh, sporting event, anything like that, the person would not have been allowed in the building. And no. that's definitely a concern. And it kind of felt like at times last night that ESPN was praising his effort I think we should be long past the point where we praise people for playing when they're sick because even though if that isn't COVID, that was definitely something that's probably contagious. Yeah, given the current climate, uh, you really should have been there. Yeah, you got to be able to read the room. And last night, ESPN certainly wasn't reading it. And and just because, I mean, I'm not going to turn this into a big COVID thing, but just because he tested negative the last two days doesn't mean three days from now he won't. So. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, um, but I agree with you there. I, I definitely think that's something to watch this week, if anything comes from that, because uh, he was out there quite a bit. I don't know how many minutes he played. Garrett was out there for – hey, how stat broadcast changed this. Garrett was out there for 35 minutes last night. So he was out there a lot. So uh, anybody who came into contact with him, I guess, would need to watch that. Sean, why don't you tell us about the Butcher's Pub and uh, take this one home. Yeah, the Butcher's Pub, two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. They're currently closed until the uh, the shutdown for indoor dining is kind of lifted. I think that should be around December 13th or 14th. Hopefully, that's what they're hoping for, they can get back to normal business hours. And then even if uh, their in-person dining isn't open, they will start back with uh, curbside and carry out and things like that. So that's the Butcher's Pub. You can visit thebutcherspub.com, or you can check them out on Facebook or here on Kentucky Daily, and I'll be sure to update uh, when they're back to a normal schedule. But that's been all for today's episode. We'll be back again on Thursday. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. This has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. (laughs) 